compassion and for his kindness. I was thinking today about the Garden of Eden and in that garden, Adam and Eve had heard often the voice of God and it was, it was a gentle voice. I think of Elijah on the mountain and there was the earthquake and the peals of thunder it was the, or rather the fire. And then he heard that gentle blowing and he knew it was the Lord. I look forward to seeing and hearing that side of God speak to us and say, well done, you good and faithful servants. Let's go to our God in prayer, please. Magnificent, most awesome, holy and precious God, we, we do praise your holy and divine name. We thank you for your mercy and for your care. We thank you for your love for your compassion, for your gentleness, and for your kindness, for allowing us to see you through Jesus, who came and walked so perfectly upon the earth among an imperfect man. And you blessed us, Lord God, though through our imperfections, to see that we can still be righteous, even through our imperfections, as Jesus demonstrated to us how to live for you in honor. Help us, Lord God, to be those people of yours that walk in honor and bring glory to your name in all that we say and do. Please bless our worship this morning. Please clear our minds of worldly thought and help us to think only of you. Please remove, Lord God, all the obstacles before us that hinder us from learning, that hinder us from praising your name. These things we thank you for and pray in that wonderful name of Jesus Christ, if it be thy will. Amen. This morning, we're in Revelation still. Um, we're going to talk about the church of Smyrna. And speaking of the church of Smyrna, we are going to enter into the subject thought of suffering saints. And I tell you, it's an honor an honor to be a, a part of a congregation when you look at Smyrna. A congregation in which God says, I have nothing against you. Only Job, if you will, could give us the greatest example of what it's like for God to have nothing against you. We find the consistency when people are following God, we find the consistency that Satan doesn't like it. And so Job suffered. Now this congregation, these brethren of ours, Suffering saints, because they're doing the very will of God. Smyrna, a congregation among the churches of Christ that stayed faithful and true to the Lord. Let's talk about Smyrna for just a moment. It was a large and beautiful city, a city of learning, a city of culture. Uh, It had a very large Jewish population. It became the center of science and also the center of medicine. Smyrna, like Ephesus, was a very wealthy city. Uh, Its trade was in wines. The city was located north of Ephesus, about 35 miles. And in the city, you'd find this one street. It's called the Golden Street. And the Golden Street was a street of idolatry. Idol gods everywhere. Gods like Apollo, Aphrodite, Zeus, just to name a few. 
And yet, Smyrna took it one step further. They worship Emperor Tiberius, Caesar. So they made a temple for him. And later, right around the time when the book of Revelation is written, there's an emperor named Domitian. And Domitian comes along, and the idea of temple worship or emperor worship, and he demands, or should I say commands, that all people address him as Lord. You see, Smyrna was a place that was deeply committed and steeped in the worship of Roman emperors. They were a righteous congregation, the church. But they had problems. Tribulation, poverty, blasphemy, persecutions, martyrdom. Of which John writes in Revelation 1, in verse 9. John says, I, John, your brother, and fellow partaker in tribulation, and kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos, because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus, he had been exiled. He says, I'm on the island of Patmos, and while this evil leader, this evil ruler, Domitian, is the emperor, I'm suffering with you. Verse 8 of chapter 2. Revelation 2, verse 8. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the first and the last who was dead and has come to life says this. I want to turn back to Matthew chapter 28 because what Jesus does for this beautiful congregation is he takes them back to the scene of the cross to remind them through their suffering and through their struggles of the greatness of God. He reminds them to hold fast and to stay true because of the great resurrection and the greatness of our God, the great power of our God. Matthew 28, just to remind us, in verse 1, the Bible says, Now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning and his garment as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. And the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. Just as he said, come, see the place where he was lying. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going to before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to report it to the disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they came up and took hold of his feet. And worship him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee. And there they shall see me. Back to Revelation, please. Chapter 1. So the point, going back to the scene of the resurrection, to remind the saints at Smyrna to hold fast God's faithful word and to be true to him. Revelation 1 and verse 8. Jesus says, I am. 
the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. So, to Smyrna, the Lord God, the Almighty God, has something very important to say. The omnipotent, omnipresent, and omniscient God has something critical, something important to say to this faithful congregation. Verse 9, he says, I know your tribulation. You see, to the church at Ephesus, he says, I know your deeds. But here, to the church at Smyrna, he says, I know your tribulation. Turn to Psalm 139. You see, this is very important. It's very important to a faithful, suffering congregation for Jesus to say that I know you are suffering. I know your tribulation. Verse 1, Psalm 139. O Lord, Thou hast searched me and known me. Thou dost know when I sit down and when I rise up. Thou dost understand my thought from afar. Thou dost scrutinize my path and my lying down and art intimately acquainted with me with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, Thou dost know it all. Thou hast enclosed me behind and before and laid Thy hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. Where can I go from Thy Spirit? Or where can I flee from thy presence, if I ascend to heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there thy hand will lead me, and thy right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me, and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to thee. And the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to thee. Back to Revelation, please, chapter 2. I know everything that you are going through, even the things that you are about to suffer. Know that you will not be alone. Praise God. Revelation 2 and verse 9. He says something in that verse. I know your tribulation. And then he says, I know your poverty. Poverty. Smyrna was a very prosperous city. We're going to go to Hebrews chapter 10 in just a moment. Yet the Christians there were poor. And they were poor because of the persecution. That was part of the reason that they were in poverty. And in Hebrews 10 is going to tell us something more about that. They were destitute. And this is what's important. The word that's used for poverty is to be destitute. They're reminded of the prayer of Jesus in Matthew 6 and verse 11 when he taught the disciples how to pray. And he said, give us this day our daily bread. You see, these brethren were struggling and they were suffering, even wondering where their next meal were going to come from, knowing that they had to depend completely and wholly on God. Here's something that I've heard many people say. If God is God, then why? 
You know, huh? this poor man over here, he's suffering and he's struggling. And he's faithful and he's righteous and he's true and he's pure. And, and yet this, the church of Christ is Smyrna. They were suffering and they were pure and they were holy and, and doing the right things. And if God is God, then why in the world, why wouldn't they be rich? Why, why would they be allowed to be in poverty, even through a persecution, even through a time of tribulation? Why? Because it's not about what you have in this life. It's about who you have in this life. It's about our service to our God. And in Hebrews chapter 10, we find in verse 32, But remember the former days when, after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of suffering, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and an abiding one. It's because God's people look beyond this world that we live in. We realize, we understand that we are just passing through. Yes, there was a great tribulation. Remember Jesus says, our God, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. They had a tribulation, the Bible says, and they were suffering in poverty. At Revelation 2 and verse 9, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan, but you are rich. Wait a minute. That if they're destitute, <laughs> how are they rich? Think about that for just a moment. When we look around the world, it just kind of gives us a, an idea that we really don't look at things the way God does. We really do not see things as God sees them. Because God is looking at a, a people who are destitute, a people that are struggling, and God says, oh, no, 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 you're, you're, you're not poor. You're not in poverty. You're not destitute. I'm taking care of you. You are actually rich. You have been liberated, if you will, from the unhappiness that money brings, number one. You are rich because, look at Revelation chapter 3 and verse 17. Let me show you. Verse 17 says, because you say I am rich. This is the church of Laodicea. And have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. You see, that's the life without God. That's the life when you walk away from God, though you have all the possessions that a man could ever have. God says, you are miserable and wretched and blind, you can't even see it. You see, Laodicea was rich. They were a rich congregation, but they were poor. Smyrna was a poor congregation, but they were rich. They were rich not only in uh, eternal blessings, but they were rich in spiritual blessings and spiritual wealth, that which is most important. And Jesus, turn to Matthew 6, please, tried to teach us that lesson in the Sermon on the Mount. He said some very important teachings there. In verse 19, he said, do not. I love when God says do not. Pretty clear, right? Do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Their heart 
was with God. You see? Because their treasure was in heaven. James 2 verse 5 says that God chose even the poor, even the poor to be rich in faith. To be rich in something that's critical and something that can never, ever be taken away, nor become moth-eaten, nor rust-destroyed, your faith. Revelation 2, please. Again, verse 9. You see, here's the issue. The issue is this, that the, the church were accused of horrible, horrible things. Okay? The tribulation that came their way, that idea, that understanding of the word blasphemy, it is also uh, the idea of slander. They slandered the name of Christians. They accused them of so many things. They accused them of, let's read this first, Revelation 2 verse 9, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. That slander, they slandered Christians of cannibalism. Jesus says, this is my body and this is my blood. They slandered the Christians of love and immorality, or lust rather, excuse me, and immorality because of the great love they had for each other. They said you cannot possibly be a human being and love someone that much unless you are a part of an immoral relationship with someone. They said you all are homewreckers. Yeah, you're going to put God first? God before, you mean to tell me that you will honor God and hold Him true even if the Romans come along and take away your children? You will still stay faithful and not deny your God? You are home wreckers. They accused them also of being atheists. They said you all are an atheistic group of people. You don't believe in God. You don't believe in God. See, we Jews, we believe in God. You don't believe in God. They accused them of being a rebellious people. Yes, full of rebellion. And also, by the way, political disloyalty. Right? You, the Jews who, who have rejected the Messiah, some of them truly, I mean truly, hated Christianity. They hated Christians. And this is what they would do. They would find Christians in the community they were identified as Christians. And you could, you'll know them by the love they have for each other. And then they would, and they would find their places of worship. And then they would, they would reveal these Christians to the Romans. Knowing this. Knowing that these Christians would be put to death for their faithfulness to God. And when you reject the Messiah, here's what happened to Judaism. Judaism became just as satanic as emperor worship itself. See, because here's what they knew. They knew that Christians would be thrown into the lion's den. They knew that Christians would be executed in some way or another, even by burning. And yet they were bloodthirsty and did not care. So to this Jesus says in verse 10, of Revelation chapter 2. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation ten days. 
Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. Jesus says, I know your tribulation. And I know that Satan is running around like a mad dog on the streets. I mean, he is after you, and he's using these Jews to try and destroy you, to destroy your faith. And you're going to be tested. You're going to go through a, a complete time or a complete period of time in which there's going to be another tribulation that's going to come your way because of your faithfulness to God, because you refuse to give in to emperor worship. But I want you to remember something. Look at how he started the letter. He began this portion to Smyrna in verse 8 of Revelation chapter 2 by saying, and to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the first and the last who was dead and has come to life says this, even though you die, you will live again. I am alive and I am well. I am God. Isn't that beautiful? Not just God, the almighty God, the omnipotent God, the omnipresent God, the omniscient God. I am God, the God of the Hebrews, the God of the world. Stay faithful. Be faithful until death. You see, because of this very strong worship of of, uh, the occult there in, in Smyrna, anyone who did not worship at this point in time, the emperor will be put to death. And I want you to think about this for just a moment. To this faithful congregation who honor God and serve God with all their mind, heart, and soul. And I want you to think about the pressure that can be applied to you. You see, the Romans would come along and say, it's time for the annual certificate. And the only way that you receive this annual certificate is... If you would surrender to emperor worship, all you have to do, piece of cake, just take a little bit of the ash, just a little bit, and sprinkle the, and burn it on the altar, and then just say, Caesar is Lord. And you don't have to believe it, but just grab some of the ash, just grab some of that, and just, and, and just burn it if you, just, just a little bit of sin. <laughs> Not a lot. And, and you know, and God will understand, right? And then when, when you, when you, Worship Caesar and you, and you burn, take a pinch of the incense and you burn it to Caesar and you say that Caesar, Domitian is Lord. You'd receive your certificate. You could walk away proud, couldn't you? No. See, because this was a big deal. How could you give in to worship a man when you understand the worship of the true God. And so these Christians were faithful, stubborn, stubborn Christians because they loved God. They remembered what Jesus said in Matthew 10. Matthew 10 and verse 28. They remembered what Jesus had to say. And Jesus says to them, Matthew 10 and verse 28, do not, he's talking about fear, right? Do not fear those who can kill the body but are unable to kill the soul. Because I'll tell you who to fear. He says, you fear him, the one who can kill both body and soul in hell. You fear the one who can destroy them both. Don't fear the Roman emperor. 
Okay, so here's what the Jews did one day. We're going to Isaiah in just a moment, chapter 44. Here's what the Jews, the Jews did. The Jews one day began to gather logs. This is probably about, this is about 50 years after this letter has been written. And these, 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 uh, you know, the tribulation of the church, uh, at Smyrna is continuing on and, and it continues for uh, about, about another 50 years or so and beyond. But they, they gathered wood and they brought it to the city. And there was an old Church of Christ preacher in that congregation. Uh, his name was Polycarp. You've heard of him, right? And, uh, Polycarp, they came to him and they said, you know, um, you're going to become a martyr for, for Jesus. And then they said, but, you know, we can end this. We can stop this. All you have to do is curse God. And worship Caesar, you know, or if you will, curse God by worshiping Caesar. I mean, it's, it's really simple. It's nothing, nothing hard to do. Just, and then you know what happens. You get your certificate and you can continue preaching Jesus and it's just a little bit of sin. You know how we think that, right? You know, we, it's just a, you know, a little sin is not as bad as a big sin, right? So we justify our lifestyle and we say, you know, okay, how many Christians do you think? Not at the church of Smyrna. But maybe the other congregations who gave in to this emperor worship. Not Polycarp. I'm going to read to you. I'm going to quote to you what he said. This is his response when they told him that he needed to either uh, curse the name of God, uh, if you will, to worship Caesar. Polycarp replied, Eighty and six years have I served him, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? You threaten me with the fire that burns for a time and is quickly quenched. For you do not know the fire which awaits the wicked in the judgment to come and an everlasting punishment. Why are you waiting? Come and do what you will. And then you've heard the rest of that where it says that Polycarp stated, Light the fire. And history says that he also told them, you don't have to bind me up. You don't have to tie me down. I'm not going anywhere. I'll die for my God. And supposedly he stayed there in the fire and there was someone who came and, and you know, put a spear or something in his heart uh, to help to lessen his, his pain. You see, the church of Smyrna was serious about God. They refused to give in. They refused to give in. And church, if I could just take a side, a side note just for a moment. Just how many of us refuse to give in? Let's make it, let's, you know, take this whole idea and let's make it, make it colloquial. We'll bring it to our, our lives today, this pandemic. When it's over, when this thing goes away and we're able to assemble again to worship, how many of us will refuse to give in? In other words, we'll come here and we'll worship God in excitement and we'll be just as faithful as we were before, but even maybe more faithful than we have been in the past because God has, has taught us something. We've learned something. You know, I don't know. It's kind of interesting. It's, uh, when we come into the building, we, we say, hi, hi, hi. We have on our masks and, and we can't get too close and we want to hug each other, but we can't. We want to fist. We want to do something, but we can't. We have to restrain ourselves, right? Wow. But because we love each other, and we love Jesus. We restrain ourselves. But that does not interfere nor interrupt our worship. And 
in this social distancing. It does not affect our worship of the one true God. It changes it a little bit in a way that is not unscriptural because we're distant from each other. But it does not interfere with our worship of the true God. Polycarp would have said, stay faithful and stay true to God and don't give up nor give in. What did they know that we don't know? Well, they know everything that we know. And they knew everything that we know now. Isaiah 44, beginning at verse 6. They knew this. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first and I am the last. And there is no God besides me. And who is like me? Let him proclaim it and declare it. Yes, let him recount to me in order from the time that I established the ancient nation and let them declare to them the things that are coming and the events that are going to take place. Do not tremble and do not be afraid. Have I long since announced it to you declared, uh, and declared it and you are my witnesses. Is there any God besides me or is there any rock? I know of none. Revelation chapter 1, they refused to worship the emperor. They refused to give in because we serve a mighty God. And Revelation 1 opens up in verse 4, and it says to us, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood. And he has made us to be a kingdom of priests to his God and Father. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Verse 18. And the living one. And I was dead and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. You church. Be faithful until the end. Because there's only one God. And we serve the living God. And Satan is trying to use this opportunity to distract us. But don't give in. Don't grow weary. Don't grow impatient. Stay faithful. Stay true. Loving each other and loving God foremost. Be thou faithful until death. And then God says... There's a reward for you. In verse 11, Revelation 2 verse 11 says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. You you, you see, standing before the emperor, you, you might... You might be executed. You might die. But I'm only going to die once. You go on and you stand before that emperor and you stay faithful and you stay true to God. Because you've come to Christ and you've already died once. 
You've already been baptized into Christ Jesus. You've already surrendered your life to Him. He's already washed you anew. He's already added you to the church of Christ. He's already made you a Christian, a child of God. You've already died to the old man. All of your sins have been washed away. You're not going to die a second time. He's speaking spiritually. Spiritually. Revelation chapter 20, verse 14. See, I want you to put all this together and realize that when he's talking to the congregations and he's trying to encourage encourage them and they read the entirety of the message that's given to them, they've got to put all of this into perspective and understand what the Almighty God is truly saying in the book of Revelation. Verse 14. And death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now look, on one hand, you could receive a certificate and you'd have your name inscribed on that certificate. And you could hold it up with pride and say, I've worshipped the emperor. But then your name will be erased from the book of life. See, you don't want your name inscribed on a certificate church, you want your name inscribed in the book of life. Because then you will not have to fear or worry about the second death. Verse 15. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Revelation 21 and verse 8. 21 in verse 8. There the Bible says this. But the, for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and all murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, this is the second death. In other words, church, if you die today, if you surrender to Jesus in the waters of baptism, you will die once. If you refuse, you will die twice. In other words, what God is saying, everyone is going to be baptized, whether we like it or not. Every human being, every soul will be baptized. Either one in the water by choice, by submission to God, or two in the lake of fire. We encourage you We encourage you to surrender to God in the waters of baptism and serve Him until the end. Be faithful thou until death and God will give us the tree of life and the crown of life and the blessings and the glory. God bless you, every one of you.